Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. And we bring on the editor-in-chief at Raw Story, Buffalo's own Dave Leventhal. Dave, uh, good morning. Happy game day. Happy game day. Happy opening day. Happy Bills day. It's uh, hopefully going to be a very good one where we will not have a zero in the uh, win column after uh, about 4 o'clock today. Well, I read an article, and I'll obviously ask for your prediction before the show's over. I read an article that only 11.5% of teams that start 0-2 since 1990 make the playoffs. So I think this is more of an important game than people think. I don't know, but, uh, you know, Buffalo has a way of defying the odds. So uh, you, can, you can read the numbers, you can study them, and, and certainly when it comes to politics, uh, I love doing just that. But my, my faith in the Buffalo Bills this season will, will, will trump that, no doubt. All right, Dave. We'll see. We'll see. I, I'd rather just go with, all right, we're back to one and one. All right, now. One and one. Yeah, let's not even worry about that, right? Yeah, I don't want to be a statistic. Uh, and remember, it's the Las Vegas Raiders. I've already called it Oakland, I believe, once in this show. So it's the Las Vegas Raiders we're playing today. Well, let's just call them Los Angeles and, and you know, split the difference, right? <laughs> hey, if we call them Los Angeles, maybe we'll have a repeat of the uh, AFC championship game. That, that's true. I would like that a lot. 51 to 3 is a, is a number I can definitely get behind. See, Dave, the Bills, it's something that brings us together here in Western New York. Something that doesn't bring us together is politics, and that is what we're going to talk about. Starting with something that, you know, at 34 years old, I've been alive for three of the four presidential impeachments, and now we have discussions of impeachment with an impeachment inquiry. We talked about this with Congresswoman Claudia Tenney in the first hour. Dave, explain to us exactly what an impeachment inquiry is and why one is being brought. Well, it feels like with the way the U.S. Senate and U.S. House is that there have been some members who have been around for four out of the four impeachment processes uh, that have gone through. (laughs) But nevertheless, what we have right now in the here and now in the year of our Lord 2023 is yet another, yes, impeachment inquiry. And what this is, is not uh, an impeachment in and of itself just yet. And if you remember back to the first and the second impeachments of then-President Donald Trump, This was something that uh, it took a little bit of time, to say the least, and was done at least at the committee level, but is something that is going to take on a little bit of a different tone and tenor here in the U.S. House uh, at at this point. Basically, in very layman's terms here, it's the gathering of evidence as to whether Joe Biden committed an impeachable offense. Uh, or offenses, and whether there are going to be articles of impeachment that are drawn up that ultimately will go to the vote of the full 
U.S. House of Representatives, which, of course, Joe, is controlled by Republicans, which is very different than the case was when Donald Trump was impeached and Democrats controlled it then. So we've got a different political winds blowing in very different political directions and obviously a new president that we're talking about here. But it's just the the latest and uh, most notable um, episode of political drama here in Washington, D.C., and coming at a time, too, when this is not the only bit of political drama going around. I mean, here we are uh, well into September, and the money for the government is running out at the end of this month, and it feels like we're basically no closer to coming to a solution and a resolution on that as we were a couple of weeks ago or a month ago or two months ago. So we've got uh, we've got some crisis mode level stuff here going on in Washington, D.C., that is potentially going to affect the entire country if ultimately it comes to pass that the government will have to shut down in part or in full. Speaking of the impeachment inquiry, and we'll get to the possible shutdown as well, uh, the impeachment inquiry, does that have full support on the Republican side? It is a majority, but it's a slim majority uh, for Republicans in the House of Representatives. Is this a full backing of Republican representatives? No, it's not. And and this is an important, <laughs> really important uh, element to, to all of this is that it's unclear even if the impeachment inquiry plays out and there ultimately is a vote on the House floor, whether it would even pass. Let's remember that even though the Republicans control the U.S. House of Representatives, their majority is very slim, just a handful of votes. You can pretty much assume that all Democrats will vote against impeaching President Joe Biden, which means that if Republicans lose seven, eight, nine, 10 votes, game over. There's no impeachment. And one number to, as we're talking about numbers here, one number to keep in mind is the number 18. And the number 18 is the number of Republicans in the U.S. House who uh, are in a Biden district. That means they're Republicans, but that people in 2020 voted for Joe Biden over Donald Trump. And, And that's important because They're going to be in tight races and they want to win and Republicans need them to win if the Republicans are going to retain the House in 2024. So they're going to be kind of inherently reluctant to do anything that is going to anger or outrage their kind of pro-Biden districts and could cause them to lose reelection. There are also some Republicans who are in safer seats, but are just kind of aghast at the idea of going through another impeachment process or don't feel like the the Republicans have enough evidence against Joe Biden. And that's a huge issue here. Republicans really at this point, there's a lot of smoke, there's a lot of heat, but there isn't really a whole lot of evidence that the uh, likely impeachable offense that is going to be offered up by Republicans, which is that Joe Biden has gotten, um, you know, illegal or untoward or unethical a remuneration a payment of some sort from his son's business dealings, uh, if that's even real, if there's going to be enough evidence to, to to go forward on that in and of itself. So big questions here, lots of questions here, and nothing is a done deal when it comes to an impeachment actually happening. So with that said, this impeachment inquiry, and as you mentioned, we have a shutdown looming. What's the hope? for bipartisan agreement to keep the government running? It, it's not great at this point. Now, these things have a way uh, in, in the 59 min, minute of the 11th hour on the final day of coming together, but sometimes they don't. And we've seen this show before 
several times in the past decade where we've gotten right to that precipice and we've gone over and the government has shut down again, either in part or in full. And we don't exactly know what the what the ultimate ramifications of inaction would be this time around. But we know it's not going to be good, Joe. And we, we have two things going on here. Of course, we have Republicans fighting against Democrats. Nothing new about that. That's standard operating procedure here in Washington, D.C. and in the current day. But the, the bigger drama in this regard is Republicans fighting against Republicans. You have one wing of the Republican Party that is kind of holding leadership, I don't want to say hostage, but is, is putting an incredible amount of pressure on House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to uh, making his life very difficult and basically holding out and asking for either very, very radical concessions when it comes to budget spending or the way that the government is doing its business uh, or not even really being clear what they want, which is something Kevin McCarthy himself has said just in recent days. And it's causing a great deal of confusion and consternation and gnashing of teeth and use whatever other visual you want here. So Republicans don't have their own house in order when it comes to figuring out a plan. And even if they do, then they got to work with the Democrats to get it done, too. So we've got we've got some major issues here. And, hey, you know, the House of Representatives, they 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 left on Friday and they weren't working. And there's a lack of urgency in a way that uh, even though we're crashing toward this deadline, uh, they're still taking breaks and not working through the night or anything of the sort. So. It's going to be very, very curious to see if somehow the U.S. House is going to be able to pull this out and get their act together so that we will avert a self-inflicted crisis of sorts that, again, will affect the whole country if this ultimately does happen. And what is that date? What is the actual deadline? End of the month. So the, the fiscal year begins anew on October 1st, and that is the deadline. And If we are having a conversation in October and no deal has been done, then we are going to have a government shutdown of some sort. So it's getting close. And uh, and we only have basically two weeks left here to figure this out. And things are just not looking great now, right, Joe? And this would be now I I don't want to like you said, we usually get that agreement in the 59th minute of the final hour. But would this are we going are we approaching our third shutdown in the last decade or am I way off? Yeah, sir. I don't have the number right in front of me, but I think it would be the third. Uh, and we've gotten very close a couple of other times, too. So one time we, we had the great Christmas shutdown where that lasted for 35 days. And uh, that, that, that got scary for some people who even beyond just not being able to, for example, go to national parks or otherwise access certain elements of government. There were people not getting paid. People were not getting checks. And if you're not getting your your paycheck and you work for the government or, or otherwise are associated with the government, that's that's a question of, well, how am I going to pay my mortgage? How am I going to pay my bills? Am I going to be able to feed my family? And that gets a little scary. And ultimately, Congress usually comes back and will make uh, folks who are in that situation whole, but that doesn't really help them in the moment. And it, it caused a great deal of scrambling and a lot of anger among a lot of people who were affected in a dramatic way. And if it goes on really long, then you get questions about, well, am I going to get my Social Security check? Am I going to be able to get somebody on the phone if I have a a crisis of some sort and I I need the government's help? These are 
these are not parlor game questions that we're talking about here, that this is real life and this is what happens if a government shutdown is more than just a blip and something that lingers for a significant period of time, which is not out of the question this time around. We hope it's not going to happen, but not out of the question. Very interesting. As uh, as the impeachment inquiry goes on, as I said earlier, the impeachment inquiry goes on, uh, and we need some. We have some. We need some hope of bipartisan agreement to uh, stop the government from shutting down. While all that's going on, Dave, we then had another. Uh, I don't know if it was a curveball. I think it was expected uh, announcement this week that uh, the president's son, Hunter Biden, will be indicted on one of the charges that was supposed to be eliminated uh, with the original plea. Explain where we are on that and how, if at all, it affects the president. Yeah, well, okay. let's just straight up say, first of all, that Hunter Biden is a hot mess. Everything that he has been doing in in the past several years has has been problematic (laughs) and problematic for Joe Biden, too. But when you're the president's son, the limelight, of course, is going to be on you in a way that it is for a few other children. And so we've got a couple of things going on here. First of all, the news of the moment is, as you described, that he has been indicted on federal charges related to, uh, to guns and tax charges. And that there was a deal. The deal fell apart. And the Department of Justice has gone forward and uh, brought charges. So this is going to happen. And there could be a trial if ultimately it isn't settled before then. And Hunter Biden is likely to get in trouble at what level, we don't know, but uh, things are not looking good for him, to say the least. So this is all happening, too, when Hunter Biden is being used as the ultimate uh, political bludgeon against Joe Biden. Naked pictures of him are showing up on the floor of the U.S. House, and every political ad, or at least every other one, uh, seems to be mentioning, mentioning Hunter Biden, say nothing of every talk radio show and articles on the front pages of uh, newspapers that one could argue are even friendly to Joe Biden. It's it's just not not great. But it also, too, is crashing into Joe Biden's just intensely loyal attitude toward his son in a way that perhaps only a parent could have that kind of loyalty. And Joe Biden has probably not been doing himself uh, any favors at all by, for example, inviting his son Hunter to state dinners and otherwise uh, appearing in public with him uh, and keeping him very much uh, in the public eye and showing his loyalty to him, which Republicans have been all too happy to seize on saying, well, look, the the president is just just shoulder to shoulder with his son who's involved in all this illegality. So it, it really is something that absolutely could be and already is a liability for Joe Biden as he seeks reelection in 2024. The question is how much of a political liability Is it going to be? And we don't know the answer to that question, at least in the context of a general election race uh, a year, uh, a year forward from this time. And then we have to keep it at the White House for this next question. It it seems, and Dave, obviously it's not loud. It's just a few. But we are starting to hear some in the Democrat Party say, you know what, maybe it's time for someone else to represent the party in 2024. Again, it doesn't seem to be a loud voice um, on the left side of the aisle. But there does seem to be a little more chatter now than there was, say, six months ago. Yeah, and there is concern within the Democratic Party as to whether Joe Biden is is ultimately up to the task here. Let's remember that he'll be 
82 years old at the time of Inauguration Day 2025. If he wins the election and serves a four-year term, he'll be 86 when he leaves. So a lot recently has been made of Joe Biden's age. And Joe Biden has been a little bit more, um, at least Joe Biden's people around him have been a little bit more aggressive lately in trying to say, look, he's up to the task. And, hey, he's going overseas to to major international conferences and in India, and he's traveling around the world, and he's active, and he's somebody who has great vitality and energy. That That is the case that's being made. And they're also hammering uh, issues that they feel is going to be very helpful to Joe Biden, not the least of which is the notion of Bidenomics, uh, which is a term that you're going to hear a whole lot of for many, many months going forward, and also Maganomics, which is something that they're trying to use as a weapon against Donald Trump, who presumably, at least at this juncture, will be the Republican nominee. But a lot can, of course, happen there, too. So, yeah, Joe Biden, I I think you I talk to Democrats and Republicans all the time about this. And when you talk to some Democrats who are involved in the party very, very quietly, they will say, Look, in a perfect world, it it might be better if we had a younger candidate, if we had a candidate who hadn't been in government for the past half century, somebody with new, fresh ideas, new blood, et cetera, et cetera. But you can't kick the sitting president of the United States uh, out of the nomination game if he wants to run again. And he does. And he is. And he will barring any unforeseen circumstances such as a health problem that would prevent him from serving again. And and anyone thinking, well, is RFK Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr. going to beat him? No, he's not. And and a lot has been made about that, but that really is a sideshow in at least the context directly of the Democratic primary. Joe Biden is going going to win. It would truly take something monumental to happen for Joe Biden not to become the nominee and uh, no, you know, wringing of hands is going to stop Joe Biden from doing so within the Democratic Party. There's just not a strong enough call or anything close to it to have him step away and step down. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 
You know, Dave, it, it is interesting, though. Usually when, uh, and let's just say, I mean, Joe, Joe Biden hasn't had the best week. Um, but, you know, when something like that happens, you see more of a media tour, right? I mean, the former president is going to be on the show that comes on after us in a few minutes uh, on Meet the Press. Uh, do you expect, you know, as, as kind of a strategy, you know, Trump on Meet the Press, that Biden will make some kind of media appearance soon? Isn't that usually how it goes in the political world? He may have to, but also, too, he's kind of a liability for his own self. And this is a huge question, too, and something that Republicans are are probably feeling pretty great about is that Joe Biden has never necessarily been the greatest interview. Uh, He's colorful. He could say gaffy things, which has always been the knock on Joe Biden. But that's not good for Joe Biden. So that's why we haven't seen Joe Biden all the time have as many press conferences uh, as other presidents have or do as many media interviews as Donald Trump is willing to do. And as a result, it it kind of makes uh, the knock on Joe Biden of late, which is, well, back in 2020, that he's the presidential candidate who's hiding in his basement. Well, he's not hiding in his basement anymore, but it does appear that uh, at least in, in the perception among some circles is that he's just hiding, period. He's hiding in the White House or he's hiding at events, yes, that he's going to, but that he's not opening himself to. And questions, for example, about Hunter Biden, he he will sometimes have these informal gaggles where he'll field questions shouted at him from reporters at the White House or in other venues. And uh, he'll answer what he wants to answer, but he'll ignore questions that uh, are are toxic to him or, or that he doesn't feel comfortable answering. And it makes for sort of this uh, bubble around him that makes him seem unapproachable. So is he going to have more live events where he's going to speak extemporaneously? Is he going to do more media interviews where he's going to sit down for a significant period of time with an, an interviewer? Is Donald Trump has done with NBC, which is no friend of his, according to Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump is definitely winning the media game. And in September, despite all of his legal troubles, he's uh, out there in a way that Joe Biden isn't quite, uh, at least when it comes to him directly speaking to the public and being open and willing to discuss any and all issues that are relevant to the 2024 presidential campaign show. And don't forget that interview with uh, former President Donald Trump airs on Meet the Press coming up next at noon here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Dave, another big thing that is obviously getting reaction from our leaders in Washington is the UAW strike. Uh, almost, almost continued without bringing that up. Uh, that began on Friday. Uh, what are we seeing response in Washington? Is this down the middle? Is this Republicans are saying this, Democrats are saying that? Uh, how is it being re- uh, responded to? Well, some interesting reactions from the, the two main presidential candidates uh, in the race right now. Joe Biden has been unabashedly supportive of the union effort, and that's not surprising. On Labor Day, for example, he was in Philadelphia with union members and and saying how big a supporter he is. And and that tracks with reality. Joe Biden has always been middle-class Joe and a big supporter of unions. And also, too, he needs the support of unions in a major way during the presidential race. Uh, He wants union support in terms of votes of union members. He wants union support in terms of money from the unions and their super PACs and whatnot. But Donald Trump has kind of taken an interesting, I call it a half measure, where he's been outwardly very supportive of 
the union members who are the workers, but very critical of union leadership, which I don't quite know is how that's going to play. Union support remains uh, or union members remain overwhelmingly supportive for Joe Biden and Democrats. But there is a notable minority contingent of union members and workers, uh, blue collar workers who are supportive of Donald Trump, too. So ultimately, how is this going to play in the presidential race? Unclear, but at least for the here and now, both sides appear to be appealing to the workers themselves, if not to the union entities writ large. We will watch that play out. Dave, earlier you mentioned we mentioned Joe Biden's age and how that concern is being discussed this week. uh, uh, Senator Mitt Romney said he will not run for reelection, citing age and pretty much calling out the two top candidates on both sides of the aisle, well, the current president and the former president, uh, for their age and saying that it's time to move aside. Uh, you know, at the same time, we see Nancy Pelosi, who's older than Mitt Romney, say that she's going to run for re-election. Now, I know this is something that you've uh, been watching, you you did some reporting on. Uh, it, it seems like Everyone has their own opinion. You've got some people that want to serve until they're in their 90s. And then you have something like Mitt Romney who say, eh, you know what, maybe I'm getting a little too old. Yeah, and, you know, Mitt Romney, of course, has other issues going on, not the least of which is being more or less an outcast in the Republican Party. So uh, age can be a, a kind of convenient excuse for stepping away, but it definitely does factor in uh, to his considerations. And Look, this is an incredibly wildly sensitive issue. On one hand, and on one extreme, it's like, well, wait, it's totally ageist to say that somebody is too old to do anything, fill in the blank, including serving as a member of the U.S. House or serving as a member of the U.S. Senate. On the other hand, and in a previous uh, workplace that did polling around this, and we found that the overwhelming majority of Americans, overwhelming majority, and this is Republicans and Democrats and independents all across the board, believe that there should at minimum be term limits where somebody cannot just serve in office forever and die in office at the age of 100, which literally was the case for Strum Thurmond, the former senator who uh, left uh, just uh, weeks after his, uh, his term was up. And then you you have other situations where the, uh, for example, the overall age of the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate makes this current Congress as old as any in U.S. history. And the uh, median age of members of Congress has gone up significantly over the past just two decades in a way that we've never seen in U.S. history before. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Well, very strong opinions on both sides. Mitt Romney made the point, uh, as you just said, that well, hey, look, at a certain time, we, we need to give younger people an opportunity to come in and deal with contemporary issues in a way that might be different uh, than somebody who's been in Congress for 30 or 40 or 50 years. So uh, at this point, though, Congress is the one who makes the rules. Congress makes the laws. And unless Congress gets behind the idea that there should be term limits or, for that matter, another popular idea, age limits, where you, you would have to step away at a certain age like you would if you're, say, a military general or a pilot for an airline, then that's something that the public would love to have, or so they say, but that Congress is almost certainly not going to abide. There's no interest in that happening. And as we talk about government shutdowns and impeachment inquiries, the the notion of having an age cap and putting that forward legislatively in Congress is uh, a, a complete and 
absolute non-starter, not something that is going to happen now or anytime soon, Joe. You know, Dave, I think it would be an interesting story. How many people currently in the, in, in the House of Representatives or in the Senate ran on, yes, term limits for sure, and then proceeded to, you know, serve eight terms? <laughs> that would be an interesting, an interesting look at how, how many terms it took for them to say, yeah, you know what, this just isn't going to happen. Can't give you an empirical number, but there are more than a few. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, Dave, let's go to something you guys uh, reported on over at Raw Story. It is who's running Washington, uh, talking about an AI forum with a picture of Elon Musk uh, on the on the front. What is that all about? Well, yeah, in the midst of everything else going on up on Capitol Hill, Chuck Schumer had led a forum with major tech leaders and others talking about artificial intelligence, AI, which the irony here, of course, is that Chuck Schumer is somebody who very proudly carries around a flip phone, and yet he's inviting Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and others to come and and basically help them school Congress on the Senate, in, in this case, on some of the most uh, urgent technological issues possible. What we found in our reporting is that there is a major information gap when it comes to what members of Congress know and what is going on in the world. And yet they're the ones who are going to be passing laws and the government across the board is going to be passing regulations that directly affect the way that technology works, including AI. So the story written by my colleague, Matt Laszlo, a phenomenal reporter up on Capitol Hill day in and day out, raw story, he, he wrote a, just a, a very eye-opening piece about how, in essence, the, the elected leaders that we have sent to Washington were supplicants here, that, that they were almost sitting, picture an elementary school and sitting in a semicircle around the teacher, learning all things that had never been brought to them before and, and, and having their minds filled with knowledge that had never crossed their brains. It, it, of course, was not that, but you could liken it to that in a certain way because Members of Congress just simply don't have great points of reference when it comes to very, very high-tech technology. And this, too, was also a, a very uncomfortable situation in the sense that it was behind closed doors. This was not publicly seen. There was no video or audio. This was not testimony, as we would see in a congressional hearing, for example. And even some Democrats were critical of, of this, including Senator Elizabeth Warren, who just thought that this was all, and my word, not hers, but bupkis, that, that it should have been done in a different way. So even though Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, New York State Senator, uh, is, is saying, hey, look, this is a bipartisan effort. We need to get together, not as a party, but as a Congress to really understand this issue. Uh, it uh, was something that is not necessarily even supported uh, by all Democrats in the way that it played out up on Capitol Hill. Interesting that Elon Musk was invited by Chuck Schumer. It seems like Elon Musk and the Democrats kind of have this weird relationship. Am I reading that right? Yeah, well, Elon Musk seems to be having a weird relationship with just about everyone these days, but it, he's also somebody who you can't avoid. And we we talk about Twitter, now X, uh, so often, but he's also got lots of other things going on that intersect with the government. And, oh, he just so happens to be the richest man in the world or close thereto, depending on the day. 
And, oh, he has that other thing going on. It's called SpaceX. And guess what? Well, that's a, as massive a government contractor as uh, not that we have going in full, but uh, definitely for defense and for space and, and for other things. If you, if you need a rocket, you need Elon Musk, right? So, and, and Tesla, too. Uh, we talk about Biden, Bidenomics, and Joe Biden is, is trying to present his economic plan as being a big selling point for him in 2024. Well, a cornerstone of that plan is uh, electric vehicles and clean technology. And what, what business is Elon Musk in? Well, electric cars and solar panels. So you kind of can't avoid Elon Musk, even if you don't like the guy or hate the guy. If you're in government, you got to kind of work with the guy because you are working with the guy already. And it's something that that you're just going to have to engage him or not engage him at your own grave risk. Dave, as always, I've gone a few minutes over, but can't go on without uh, talking about a little or having a little primary talk is how I should have stated that. Um, the next Republican debate is 10 days away from today in the Republican hotbed of California. And uh, the last Republican debate didn't really seem to have any effect on the polling. How are the candidates going to try to make this one any better, any different if they can at all? It, it really didn't either when it came to uh, affecting the polling. There was a funny graphic that was shared around uh, by uh, a reporter, Dave Weigel, for Semaphore, a news organization. And it showed the polling numbers in the form of lines going forward from the de- de- uh, day of the debate last month to the present day. And it basically looked like flat lines with, with little wiggles in it, uh, but nobody crossing the path of anyone else. So at least at the national level, Donald Trump remains... 30, 35, 40 percentage points ahead of the number two, which is Ron DeSantis, and the number three, which uh, in many polls, but not all, is uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, So this is the Donald Trump show, and Donald Trump is not almost certainly going to be in the next debate. So it's going to be Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley and Chris Christie and the whole rest of the gang. And is anything really going to matter as a result of that? Is somebody going to have a moment where they could break out? Now, that all being said, national polls are one thing. State-level polls are another thing. And because of the way the primary works in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada, you need to pay attention to those polls, too. And they do look a good bit different than the national polls. Uh, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, for example, are both South Carolinians. They're, they're overperforming relative to national polls in their home states and in New Hampshire, which can be wacky and can really be idiosyncratic and who they ultimately support. Chris Christie, who is just insanely unpopular everywhere else, is a little bit more popular there in a way where he's in the conversation at the third and second level, depending on the day and on the poll. So could something weird and wild happen there? It's possible. It's still several months before anyone is going to be taking any votes. In Iowa, too, Donald Trump remains in a commanding lead, but he's not as popular in Iowa as he is uh, at the national level, relatively speaking. So could a Tim Scott break through? Could a Ron DeSantis have a comeback? It's entirely possible. And Nikki Haley, who did have, I think, hands down the best debate performance in a way that affected her poll numbers in the first debate, is somebody who seems to be making as strong a case as anyone in those early states that, hey, look, I'm somebody who you need to think twice about 
and uh, and, and look at me. So uh, she's going to double down, I suspect, on many of the things uh, that she did in the first debate that made her stand apart a little bit, uh, particularly when it comes to foreign policy, where she's very strong, given the fact that she is the former ambassador to the U.N. under Donald Trump. You know, this might be a little commentary, Dave, but I, I am still just so surprised on how much Ron DeSantis is underperforming. There was so much buildup to his campaign, uh, and it just seems like he cannot get out of. He is kind of stuck right there, you know, 30 points below uh, Donald Trump in national polls. Well, Joe, I, I got to wonder, and, and this is just idle speculation uh, from somebody in Washington, D.C., so take it for what it's worth, but Got to wonder if he's going to get out uh, and even have an opportunity to have anyone vote for him. Will he drop out before Iowa? Will he drop out immediately after Iowa if things truly go off the rails? Uh, you, you just can't stay in the race forever. Yes, you can. But for him, who's a sitting governor of Florida, who, who has staked his political reputation on this, at some point, you, you got to know when to pull the plug. So, it's entirely possible, I think, to have a scenario where Ron DeSantis actually exits the race uh, before a lot of other candidates. Not to say that he will. He could definitely have a comeback, but there is no evidence at this point pointing to Ron DeSantis having a comeback, uh, despite the fact that he's kind of, quote unquote, rebooted his campaign two times uh, since uh, he entered the race. And really, the results are, are nada, nil nothing. <laughs> he, he He's dropping in the polls instead of rising in the polls, and that's not a good sign for him at this point. Speaking of comebacks, Dave, we are just an hour, close to an hour, like an hour and 10 minutes away from kickoff. The Bills looking for a comeback after Monday. Uh, it's, it's our political game day. What is uh, your prediction for the game this afternoon? Well, Joe, as much as I would like to say it will be 51 to 3 again, we'll have a repeat of the uh, 1991 AFC championship game. Uh, let's uh, let's go with 31 to 17, perhaps a conservative prediction, but one I think will give uh, the Bills a nice two touchdown margin uh, between the Raiders of Oakland, L.A., Las Vegas, and the Buffalo Bills, who have always been the Buffalo Bills. That's right. Uh, Dave, I'm, I'm hoping you're right. I, I think they'll win. I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm like you. I want to see a dominant performance after what we saw. You know, Monday, it wasn't as lackluster. Monday reminded me a lot of the Jacksonville game when Urban Meyer got his only win as Jaguars coach. I don't know if you got that feeling, but Monday had that feeling for me. Maybe so. And hey, it's a it's a long season. If the Bills win two to nothing, I'll be happy so long as they get the win. But let's uh, let's do a little bit more than that and hopefully uh, achieve a little bit uh, of greater momentum going into week three. We can't predict the game, but we know it's going to be an electric atmosphere at one Bills drive. And uh, Dave, I know you're as excited as me uh, to get going and uh, get this game started. As always, Dave Leventhal, we appreciate you joining us this Sunday morning. Thank you, Joe, and go Bills. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 